Welcome to another episode of The Right Moment. My name is George Wright, and I am the president of Right One Consulting, Right to You Training and Development, and Right for You Coaching. The purpose of this podcast is to explore the ideas that we generate with our clients from our three companies. Right One Consulting provides selection advice and guidance based on our pre-employment selection assessment tool. Right to You Training and Development provides high-quality online training to individuals that's based on our stand-up programs we deliver to our corporate clients. And Right For You Coaching provides coaching to individuals and corporate clients. In this episode of The Right Moment, we are going to be discussing the ideas of personality type and personality trait and the impact of those ideas on selection. I'd also like to talk a little bit about mistakes. Certainly in my work with our corporate clients, when we do stand-up training, we talk about the issue of mistakes, specifically when we're talking to managers and even individual coaching and development sessions. I talk to people about what a mistake really is and what it means. And I'd also like to wrap up today by talking about what I'm reading. I found a great new book, When the Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing by Dan Pink. And I'd like to add my own little spin on the issue of timing. So let's get into this today. First topic of the today for our podcast is the idea of personality type versus personality traits. And certainly this idea has been with us for a long time. If you were with me um, in my, for example, in my Psychology 100 class, we spent a lot of time over at Bloomfield College with kids talking about what personality is, first of all. And then how do we address it? How do we think about personality? And this comes down to a theory. There's there's basically a theory behind this. It's trait theory versus type theory. And it's really how do you look at personality? What's your choice, your preference? Fundamentally, here's really the difference. Type theory looks at the characteristics of people and individuals as a discrete category. Whereas trait theory will look at those same characteristics as part of continuum. And maybe the best way to, to present this to people and get you to understand this difference is to, is to look at an example. And so the example I want to talk about is introversion and extroversion. And, and first, let's talk about those two dimensions. Um, first of all, we have kind of a misnomer in our culture about what introversion and extroversion really actually, what are they? And, and here you need to go back a little bit. You need to go back to some history and look at it from the psychological perspective. And Carl Jung the original individual who, who came up with these ideas and described introversion and extroversion. Introversion versus extroversion is, is a trait theory that says, look, you've got individuals who are outgoing and engaging, and you've got people who may tend to be quiet and reserved. But Carl Jung didn't look at it from that perspective. He said, basically, we can all do that. But as I like to describe it, there's a tax. So, for example, if you're an introvert, you're generally described as someone who may be quiet and low-key, not, not engaging. doesn't mean you can't. But when you do that activity, when you engage other people, you pay a tax versus an extroversion. I'm, I'm a naturally an extrovert. I, uh, I will come home, for example, from doing a seminar or working in a, going into Bloomfield at night and doing some teaching. I'm kind of jacked up. It takes me a little time to get down from being excited, the, the engagement of ideas, the interaction with people. Now, the introvert may not experience that. The introvert may go through the same situation and be exhausted by that process. They may need to 
take some time, maybe withdraw from the world, maybe get some time away from things before they can come back and do that again. The, the great other example I have of that is I had a, this great teacher when I was in graduate school, uh, Dr. David Hill. Uh, David, uh, one of my early mentors in, in psychology and in life, um, he was a great teacher. And, and we would talk about our teaching styles and approaches. And he was always great in the classrooms. You could get him in front of a lot of people and he was engaging. It was great to be around him. Um, and I was talking to him about it one day and I said, David, you're so great in front of a room. And he said, yes, but I pay a tax for that. He was exhausted by it. Um, he was naturally an introvert. He was great in that moment, but in, in, later on, he paid that tax. And really, when you look at extroversion and introversion, that's really what it means is people will do it, and you can have an introvert who can be engaging, and you may not know that they are, quote, introverted. But later on, they may be exhausted. They may go home. They may want to just disappear from the world for a little while, whatever it is, as opposed to an extrovert who will, in fact, look at that same engagement and say, hey, I, I want to go do that some more. I'm jacked up by it. So let's get back to our discussion, personality type versus personality traits. Uh, I'm a trait guy. I, I, I'm not really the, the guy that looks at type, and I use type from a very specific domain. I'll talk about that. Um, so a type theorist would claim that you're either an introvert or you're an extrovert, and that's it. A trait theorist would look at that and say, not really. Um, we all have... Moments when we can behave in an introverted way. Maybe we're uncomfortable. Maybe we're a little out of our element, so we're, we're going to be a little bit more introverted. Whereas maybe that same person could, in a different environment with different people, could be a little bit more extroverted. So essentially, that difference is now clear. Uh, trait theorists will look at a continuum. Type theorists will look at absolutes, either or. Now, this has some real implications for selection. A lot of people like the DISC assessment, for example. Uh, a lot of my new clients will come to me and say, hey, I'm a big user of DISC, or even I'm a big user of MBTI, the Myers-Briggs, and I'll, I want to put a pin in that conversation, come back to it. Again, those are, those are when we look at those, those are type tests, essentially, or type assessments. Um, I'm always challenged by those, because those, if you're going to use those for selection, you're going to put people in boxes. You're going to say either or. Which, in reality, isn't, isn't what I see in my experience. And that's why I don't like to use those. In fact, in pulling that pin out, if you look at Myers-Briggs, there's a big disclaimer if you're going to use that assessment. Uh, right on it says, do not use for selection. Absolutely, don't, don't do that. Um, those authors and those developers have actually come out and said that openly. They, they don't want it used for that purpose. But a lot of people use DISC for selection. I'm always challenged by that because you're going to get that idea of introvert Absolute, extrovert, absolute. And, and we don't do that. In our selection work, we describe that dimension and our scale is our, you know, social orientation, we call it. And people who are high in a social orientation are described as being engaging and, and comfortable doing that work. And if you're lower on that scale, maybe you're not always as comfortable. And so in certain situations, you're not going to do that and that has outcomes. And so the implication here is really clear. If you're going to use an assessment for selection, you want to use maybe a tool that's a little bit more sensitive to what people really are, what they're actually showing you. And in our work with, with selection, we, we really encourage people, look, if you're going to use an assessment, use something that's going to give you a full range of options about what you're going to see in people. Go for what you're going to see behaviorally, and that's, that's a key element. Uh, and if you're listening to this podcast and you want to get more information about how we use assessments and what we do with them, 
to help people be more effective in their work, please just just give us a call or write to us. And we're at writeoneconsulting.com. You can you can see us on the web. Uh, we've got a number of white papers on our website, and you can feel free to reach out to us and contact us. But again, that that big difference there, personality type versus personality trait, it's an important one, and I wanted to get some some ideas about that. Um, so next big idea I wanted to to bring out this morning as we talk about our second podcast is mistakes. Um, and in my work with training, this usually comes up whenever I do a session, for example, on, on emotional intelligence, that this idea comes up whenever I talk to managers about how to manage their teams and lead their teams more effectively. Mistakes always come up, what mistakes are. Um, and I, I want to begin with that idea. What, what is a mistake? And I always ask that question. I get some some interesting reactions and responses from people. And, it's, and I'm always curious about this when I ask the question. And a lot of times people are saying mistakes or they're errors or there's something that people do wrong. And that, that's a particular frame of mind. And I want to change that frame of mind when I talk with people. When I talk about mistakes, I always talk about them as learning opportunities. And that's really what a mistake is. It's your opportunity to learn. But we don't often think of it that way. We look at a mistake. And certainly if I make a mistake, if, if I get the mindset going of it's wrong, uh, I might be tempted to overlook it or deny it or sometimes hide it. Yeah, if you're a leader, that's really what you want. You want your people hiding mistakes from you. That always goes so well. And then and then your reaction or response is, is quite different. But if we take that mindset and look at it and say, okay, humans make mistakes. <laughs> Funny thing, I've been doing psychology for 30 years. That's one of those one, one things that I can always point to and say, what, what do you know about people? Well, we make mistakes. Uh, that's that's part of human learning. And, and if we take a different mindset, if we take the approach of people are going to make them. And when we when we make them, when, when other people make them, if we look at them as opportunities to learn, we're going to have a different outcome. Because the part of that issue of mistakes is our reaction versus our response. And, and again, I want to I want to point out a, a unique idea here that when someone makes a mistake, even if it's ourselves, we, we, we have a reaction to it or we have a response to it. And, and it's interesting to explore that idea. What do I mean versus uh, this idea, reaction versus response? And it's this, this unique idea about humans. We, we tend to react to things or we tend to respond to them. And it's always that second moment after you take that big, deep breath and say, what is, what's going on here? Because you can react to a mistake and just sort of mindlessly go at it. Or you can say, I want to think about it for a minute. I want to pull back and say, what's my response going to be? That's what I really encourage leaders and managers to do. Think about your reaction to the mistake. Think about your response to that mistake. There, there's a difference there and there's a big gap. So I want us to mind that gap, as they say over, over in England. If you've been on the, the subway over in England, there's a big sign on the floor that says, mind the gap. We want to mind that gap. What's our reaction versus our response? And our implications for managers is quite simple. You can design your environment. You can get people to respond to you and deal with you in a different way. If you learn to respond to a mistake versus react to it, and I encourage managers and leaders to do that. And certainly in an upcoming podcast, we're going to talk about cultures of punishment and the implications of those. But for now, I really want to leave you with that idea. If you're a manager or you're a leader, think about what a mistake is. Can you turn that mistake into a learning opportunity? Here's where I like to work with managers a little bit. When someone makes that mistake, 
one of the first things you want to really think about is what can we all learn from it? What's the lesson? And then what are we not going to do from now on? And if we can get that mindset going, if we as managers and leaders can say to ourselves and our people, look, let's learn from it. First of all, let's learn from it. And even for us, I mean, you make mistakes, I make mistakes, and sometimes we can be very self-punishing when we make those mistakes. So let's, let's begin to even reframe it for us, say, hey, what is it I'm doing here? I've made a mistake, what can I learn in this moment? Rather than beating ourselves up, rather than turning it on ourselves, let's learn to back out and have a different response to those mistakes. And certainly if you, if you begin to do this habitually and, and consistently, you will change the, the response you get from other people as well, even yourself. You can learn to, to move on from that. In my work with high performers, most of them tend to do that. They look at it and say, I've made a mistake. What am I going to learn from this? What am I going to get from this? And what am I going to do again the next time I face this? Remember, if you've got a plan, you can execute a plan. If you don't have a plan, then there's nothing to do but react. So really that response comes from what am I going to do if I face this situation again? Good ideas to, to think about as we roll into this, this new year, 2018. Again, if you want to talk to me further about these ideas or you're interested in discussing training opportunities with us, uh, with our company, either Right right One Consulting, we do stand-up training, or Right To You if you want to take a look at some of our programs we have online for individuals and managers, please feel free to do that and reach out to us. So I want to wrap up today with the idea of what am I reading now? Uh, Again, people always ask me, George, what are you reading now? Because I do read widely. I read deeply. There's a lot of ideas that I like to explore. And right now, if you've, you maybe you've heard of this guy, Dan Pink, great author, great speaker, and fame, one of the most famous TED Talks available uh, on motivation. He's by Dan Pink. If you've not seen that TED Talk, you really need to go out and look for that. It's about motivation. One of the best explainers of of motivation, and he draws on the work of Deci and Ryan, something called self-determination theory, which we'll also talk about in the future podcast. But his new book, um, When the Science and Secrets of Perfect Timing, is an interesting idea. Um, the the idea of what time is, first of all, and then when is the optimal time to do things? Um, and that's really what this book explores. It's an interesting idea that there's actually a good time to do things and there's a bad time to do things. Um, years ago, I was invited to something here in New Jersey called the New Jersey Judicial College. Uh, and if if you're in New Jersey, that's where we're located. Uh, you may find this an interesting idea that every year in the state of New Jersey, uh, the Justice Department runs a two or three day seminar, I think it is, for every judge in the state of New Jersey. So everyone from the Supreme Court down to your local municipal judge goes to this this, this college and years ago, I was invited to, to come in and speak to the idea about cognitive bias to the judges. And it was a, an interesting program. We did a one-hour talk with them, two sessions. And I remember, actually, the, the gentleman that invited me to come do it was a sitting judge at the time here in the state of New Jersey. And after the second um, program, uh, he, he asked me, how did it go? And that, that, that second program was actually filled. The room was quite full on the idea of, of cognitive bias and judicial thinking. And and he sort of a smile on his face. He said, "How did it go?" And I said, "I, I thought it went pretty well." And there was a number of individuals in the front row 
who had actually had some pretty pointy questions for me. And he said, well, that's pretty good because the gentleman who was questioning was actually the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of the state of New Jersey and a really nice guy and asking me for some very distinct questions about, about cognitive bias and judicial thinking. Um, anyway, my point about this is, is about the science of timing. There's a very famous study uh, that's done, I believe it was in Israel. Um, I haven't read, gone back and read the study in a while. But anyway, the consequence of this study was actually that um, it, it had to do with the timing of decisions in, in with justices. And it turned out that timing had to do with blood glucose level that judges who were making decisions around noontime right before lunch tended to make more decisions around no. We're not going to agree with that. We're not going to let that happen. Whereas after lunch, their glucose levels went up a little bit. And this study found that they were more prone to say yes to things afterwards. So that had some interesting implications. So if you're interested in the idea of timing and some of the concepts that are around that, you may want to check out Dan Pink's book, When the Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing. So that's our show. That's our episode of The Right Moment for this week. Thanks for coming along. My name is George Wright, and once again, I am the president of Right One Consulting, Right to You Training and Development, and Right for You Coaching. Thank you. Thank you.